Welcome to the Lessons Learned Podcast, a podcast reflecting on the lessons we've learned and those we're still in the process of learning. I'm Komal, your host. I'm an interviewer, investor, and someone who has lived a lot of life in a short time. I built this podcast as a place for us to reflect, to be together, and to learn from one another. Let's get into it. Welcome, wonderful humans, to episode 19 of the Lessons Learned podcast. I am really looking forward to today's episode because it is very timely for me. I have been struggling recently, the last couple of days this past weekend, to feel like myself. And what I mean by that is I have had a strange amount of anxiety in my body, moving through me, stressing me the fuck out. (laughs) And normally I'm pretty good at curbing anxiety. However, the last couple of days, it was unrelenting. And our topic for this week's episode is holistic hustle. And it's a term I've coined and I'm sure others have as well but recently when I was asked by Jenny on my team who's doing the video capture for the tour itself I think she asked me a question about like what's your intention around the work uh, aspect of this you know we've got a lot to do what's your intention for that and I said to to holistically hustle to take care of ourselves while knowing we have a lot of work to do and that we love the work that we're doing and to show to myself that there is a way to do both because I genuinely believe that there is. So Kylie and I from my team who helps me with this podcast helps me walk through my brain and figure out how I'm going to create our podcast episodes together. She and I went through what this episode could look like, what I could talk about, and we went through it last week. My intention was to record this episode last week, but I was so taken by the amount of energy it took me to record the Michelle Obama recap that I actually needed to pause my creative brain and just give myself a bit of time and a little bit of a break. And that ended up, that experience of recording the episode, started me on a little bit of my anxiety tumble down the hill. I didn't realize how tired I was and how creatively empty I was. And the anxiety that I was feeling started rearing its head and was reminding me of dark days past. In the past, when I wouldn't listen to this anxiety, bad things would happen bad things would happen because I wouldn't listen to it when it was a whisper. If we don't listen, the whispers get louder and louder. If we do listen, we can put those whispers to bed. And in the past, I would let the whispers turn into screams, turn into banging on the door, turn into the door being torn off its hinges and me being taken to a bad, dark place. And I'm sure some of you are familiar with this experience. The experience of feeling like maybe I should sleep a little bit more than I am sleeping. Maybe I should 
not be working into the night as often. Maybe I should set a little bit stronger boundary at work. Maybe I should tell my colleague that I can't do that emotional labor for them. Maybe I should actually prioritize my health and well-being a little bit more right now. Maybe I shouldn't be working this insanely. Those whispers turn into shouting. And it's so hard to come back from when it's gone too far. And when it went too far for me was a couple of times, but the most pressing of times I woke up one morning after a period of a lot of chaos, taking our documentary film Dream Girl on tour across North America and waking up one January morning after turmoil ensued with my co-founder and I, and we were in a really bad place and I had an incredible amount of stress living in New York. And I remember a couple days prior to this incident, me landing in New York City and just feeling like I don't belong here. This isn't where I'm supposed to live. What am I doing? The whispers in my body had taken full hold of me. I was in a straight jacket of my own making, a straight jacket of bad decision after bad decision for myself. And I woke up one January morning three years ago, and I had lost vision in my left eye. That was the whisper that turned into the straight jacket. It was my wake-up call. It was my wake-up call to say, I don't live like this. I don't work like this. I don't exist like this. And thus began the journey of me pulling myself out of that jacket, gently placing it on the ground, and starting to explore and live in my body again, and starting to listen to what it was telling me and the intelligence of my being and what it had to share with me. I went through a massive transformation the last three years. And so my vision mostly restored itself. It was a neurological illness that in 60% of cases is related to multiple sclerosis. So that became my one-way ticket home to Canada because I needed a neurologist I needed to be taken care of. I needed to be brought back onto my feet. We moved in here with my father-in-law in the house that I am currently sitting in my home office of. Every room slowly renovated as I didn't have capacity to work, but I had capacity to work on creative projects that were just for us. And I rebuilt a life that made sense to me. And it took a lot of time and it took a lot of changing habits and behaviors and beliefs and working with therapists and coaches and physiotherapists and neurologists and doctors and a whole team (laughs) slew of people who helped me pick myself back up. My vision mostly restored. When I play volleyball and I look up, I, I still can't see through a little bit of my left eye, but it's a nice welcome reminder at times of where I'd, I've been and what I've come through. And so I wanted to share that story as an example of why listening to the anxiety that came up after recording that episode for all of you last week was so fucking important to me. Because I know where this path can lead. And yes, sometimes I can be overdramatic because me not 
me working for a couple weeks in a row without a weekend, as many of us do, isn't going to lead me to a neurological issue again. But I know what happens if I don't honor the whispers early. And if I get used to ignoring them again, that's where I'll get into trouble. So we don't ignore them anymore. Especially now, and this is where the holistic hustle piece comes in and why this is an important ethos for me to, you know, put the flag in the sand right now, is because work is ramping up. We're doing something wildly audacious with this tour. There are six cities, eight tour stops, eight events to plan in eight different locations, guests to secure, sponsors to find, preparations for me to do, um, so much work. And I love it. (laughs) I love it so much. I love the hustle. I love the pace. I love the pressure. I love the intensity. I love all of it. But sometimes that love I have for the work and the amount of work can get in the way of what I need. And so right now it's important as I have one of the biggest workloads of my life for me to prove to myself that I can be my healthiest self whilst doing it, whilst creating this dream for all of us to take in together. What a statement for myself to say at the end of May when this is all said and done, And we're starting to think of tour number two for all of us, my team and I included to say, we did that. Not only was it amazing, but we were well through that process. That's my dream now. And that's why today we talk about holistic hustle because it's the reminder that I need. And I sure hope it's the reminder that you need that we get to choose to do this differently. And that's what this community is about. How do we holistically hustle? I have a few things that I want to dive into. First, we're going to talk a bit about our love of work and how loving work is okay. And we're going to talk about continuing to do the things that are good for you, even when time is scarce. We're going to dive into defining what your pace with work looks like, how you can create an understanding of how you work and how you work well. We're going to talk about getting team buy-in. So if you're in a work culture that doesn't facilitate holistic hustle, how can you maybe support it in becoming that way? Or how do you set boundaries enough so that you're okay in that situation? And then we're going to talk about how we listen to our body. How do we listen for the whispers? How do we tune in? And finally, we're going to land on why it's okay that all of this is really fucking hard. Because hustling is hard. We've heard that from Gary Vee and all the folks who purport around hustle culture. I love it. I am a hustler. I hate saying it that way, but I just did. Um, And I appreciate working a lot. But finding that semblance of, dare I say, balance in it or some semblance of time and space for yourself in it, that is really hard work. And it's okay that this is hard work because we like to work hard. And we like to talk about it and work through it. And that's exactly what we're doing together. So let us begin. Let's talk about the love of work. This is something that Kim from my team, who helps manage all the logistics and operations with majority of the team, um, 
she's kind of come in and has let me step back from day-to-day management of our team and has taken that on herself so I can focus on creating and visioning and partners and all, partnerships and all of that. But Kim reminded me when, work, when we were working on our last startup, CoreSpace, when we were focusing on helping people work differently and redefining their relationship to work, she said to me one day, she said, I love work. She's like, I know that there needs to be space for balance and all this and downtime and meditation and all these things, but I just love to work. She works fast. She's effective. She can manage multiple clients at the same time as many of us can, but in the scale that Kim does, it's something beautiful to watch unfold and she moves fast and she action is the way that she moves. And it took me that second to identify in my brain, my limiting belief around that for myself, because I'm a diminisher. When we see immigrant parents, this is my experience, working their fucking asses off and not having downtime, not having days off and seeing the impact that that had on our family, which was immensely positive, but also detrimental to, for example, my dad and his terrible knees now and him not wanting to do physio or like get a personal trainer because he thinks it's not valuable or that it's a waste of time or money when these are the things that are actually going to make his life feel better and perhaps be longer. Um, When you see that kind of work ethic that can become a really empowering narrative to be like, look at all they sacrificed and now I have to honor it and work so hard and work myself to the bone and all these things. Or we can channel it and figure out a way for us to healthily do this. So in knowing that seeing my parents work so insanely hard and having that be something that drove me for the early part of my career and when I was on Dream Girl, I always thought what I did was never enough. I would diminish the amount of work I would do. I would call it not work because it wasn't traditional kind of work that my parents did, digital online work for whatever reason. There's like a cognitive dissonance in my brain that it's not it's not meaningful work and I'm working on this myself. It's a limiting belief. It's a story. I'm, I'm working on it. Um, but that would make me diminish how much I was working. And Mitch would always say like, you put in multiple 12 hour days this week and I just would brush it off, brush it off, brush it off, brush it off. And I think that a really important thing when we love to work is to actually acknowledge how much we work. So I wasn't doing that. And it was wildly unhealthy because no matter how much I worked, it would never be enough because I would, could never work hard enough. I baseline could never work hard enough. So I had to reestablish my relationship to work. And it was Kim saying that to me that made me remember that I love to work and it's my job to honor and respect how much I actually work and take the shame and guilt and all of the bad shit out of this relationship. Because then I can be proud of working long days, long hours towards a really meaningful dream and not have it rob me of my positive relationship with myself or my positive relationship with the project or outcomes that are coming. Because in the past, it would never be enough. So I was afraid to say that I love work because in a lot of ways, I thought work took everything from me when I was sick. I thought it robbed me of my vision. I thought it robbed me of my life. I thought it robbed me of three years of my life when I was in recovery How could I love this thing that took so much from me? 
but then I realized in that moment and the moments that followed and the thoughts that followed and the inner dialogues that followed that, hey, I really love work and that is okay. And I can love work and work a lot and be well because I get to choose how to live my life on my terms. And so it's okay to love work, but we got to be honest with ourselves about how much we work, how effective we're being or not being. And if it is, like it oftentimes was for me, an addiction to cover up other more important things that need to be dealt with in our life, with therapy and coaching or whatever that might look like for you. So I'm really excited about this new era of my relationship with how I work and the work that I do. It feels a lot healthier and I feel like much more self-aware about old patterns and habits that might have been holding me back and depleting me and taking so much from me. But I'm really happy that this can have a healthier role in my life. And I'm excited to explore that more as a big part of holistically hustling. So for this first section, what I hope you take with you is that it's okay to love work. It's okay to love working a lot and being great at what you do and being type A and all those things. But it's equally as important to, as we transition into this next part of today's conversation, to take care of yourself in really meaningful ways along the way. And to, as much as you love work, also love taking care of yourself. So perfect segue into talking about consistently doing the things that allow you to take care of yourself. True story. This morning, I almost canceled my workout with Amr, my trainer, who I train with on FaceTime. For those of you who struggle to find a trainer that you like or are intimidated by going into gyms where trainers exist, find an online trainer who trains on FaceTime or on Skype or whatever online video platform you prefer. They exist. They are great. And you can take your phone into any gym and place it on the ground and have the person watch you and train you in that way. It has really made my life so much easier because I live far away from many things and many people. I used to drive like 45 minutes to go to my gym and then we realized we could FaceTime train. And there's certain like foundational things I had to learn how to do in the gym. Um, but my husband Mitch, for example, he also started FaceTime training and just started it from scratch. And so this was really effective for me to make this an easy habit for me to keep up with. So find yourself an online trainer if you're looking for to get more active. Um, technology for the win. Woo! So committing to the things that are good for us. So this morning I almost canceled my session with Ummer. And it was because I felt so much anxiety and so much stress. And working out felt like the last fucking thing I wanted to do today. But this came after me not working out for three days, which is the longest I've not worked out in a while. And, you know, I had promised my physio I'd do yoga and stretch and do all these things because my knee's been acting up and, and the muscles are tight around it. But I didn't. And that was okay. But today I knew, I was like, if you don't do this today, you won't work out again until Thursday. And that's almost a week. And it's not about like, it's not about the metrics of it. It's more just, am I showing up for myself? This was a real great opportunity for me to show up for me today. And I did. And what that allowed me to do was I work alone most of the days. I have my calls with the team on Tuesdays, but a lot of the time I'm just in my head. And so to start training with Amr, and I know that she's a big advocate for the Bell Let's Talk, um, you know, campaign. She did an event with it last week. So she's open to talking about mental health and 
where we're at. And so we just got to jam on it throughout the workout. And so I'm moving my body, feeling great, and also getting to talk to someone I trust about where I am mentally. And she's reminding me that the event that I was supposed to speak at this weekend in Toronto, it being canceled, was such a massive relief to me. So I didn't have to travel again. And she reminded me that, hey, you're probably a little bit burnt out and it might be good for you to take some downtime. And to have that validated externally was so powerful for me. And sometimes, and we'll get to this later about that the portion around listening to our bodies and how we can do that, talking things through allows us the opportunity to see what's going wrong. And training, had I not gone and got up and did that workout that I know is great for me and something that I have in my routine and scheduled to take care of myself, had I not shown up for that, my day could have been totally different. And I know those days where I stay in bed, I grab my phone, I scroll for hours, and I just feel terrible. And the feeling compounds. When you know better, you do better. Queen Maya, thank you for that. And so I have to stick to the things I know are good for me. That includes, you know, being around people who make me feel good, calling my mom every day, working out, staying hydrated, the habits that I've talked about on past episodes. What does that look like for you? And how do you make sure you keep those things going, even in the most stressful of times? Because that is when we need it most. We don't need our habits when things are good and steady and we're great at them. We need them when they're hard to show up for. We need them when things are really intense and fucked up and all of the adjectives for hard shit. That's when we need our habits most. That's when I needed my journal most this morning. That's when I needed my meditation most. Even though when I was sitting in my meditation, I was anxious the whole time. But it still let me work through some things in those 20 minutes that I needed to. And then moving my body. So it also gives us grace. Like when we do the things that are good for us, it gives us grace and it lets us stop being such dicks to ourselves. Apologies for all the intense language in this episode. I'm just obviously very passionate about what we're talking about. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like I can be a real ass to myself and it's not helpful. And ego thinks it is. Um, But the way that it can be helpful is it shows me what I can continue to work on. And why having these habits and things in place for me, the systems I have in place for my own self-care are so important. So do what's good for you. Give yourself grace and ask yourself in the hard situations, what can I control? Because you might not be able to control the people you're working with. You might not be able to control the circumstance itself, the grief, the whatever's around you, the intensity of work, whatever is coming at you. But what you can control is your habits and your routines and, as people say, your reactions to things. And so when we're holistically hustling, we have to ask ourselves, what can I control in the situation I'm in? And this morning, I had already controlled my schedule by scheduling that workout. And so I showed up for it because I could control my reaction. I wasn't going to cancel. I showed up and it was hard and I was late because my warm-up was behind, but I still did it. So do what's good for you. This is the part of the show where I ask you, our incredible listeners, to slide into my DMs and share your ideas, your stories, and your experiences with me so we can dive into our lessons learned together. For slide into my DMs this week, I asked all of you, 
What signs make you know it's time to slow down? How do you even know you're on the verge of overwhelm, burnout, or whatever the adjective might be for that feeling? And this is what you had to say. So Johnny said, my body physically hurts. Lots of anxiety, back pain, shorter breath, just not a peaceful mind. Nyla said, my body, I operate in sprints and bursts of energy. So after weeks of going hard, I have to take a few days off because I can't operate at a maximum productivity level all the time. Amy said her sign is when she's too tired to take a shower at night. Cammie said, this is such a good question I just have to answer. I know I need to slow down when I start getting irritated towards my partner, but irrationally so, for no actual reason than my own tired self. Mitch and I also do this. and Our sort of code language for this is, are you just a tired baby? Because obviously when infants are overtired or whatever might be the case, they just cry and they're cranky. And so that's our sign to each other where we're like, do you just need to go the fuck to sleep? Yes. Jacqueline says, when things I usually love doing or feel excited about end up feeling like a burden. Also when she's swaying away from practicing her non-negotiables, aka her highest values. Daniel says, when his breathing is off and his shoulders tense up, he knows it's time to refresh. Someone else says, feeling suffocated and gasping for air. That's how she knows she needs space and alone time to regroup. David said, this is my first time responding, but for me, it's simply the fact I even think about needing to slow down. I love that one because it's the initial whisper. It's tuning in as soon as the thing becomes evident and being like, oh, wait, why do I even think I need to slow down? Thank you for that one, David. Lindsay says, when I start to see each new day as a chore or to-do list rather than a gift, I make sure to hit pause. Serena said, when it's taking me five times longer to do things, I can be a masochist in this way because sometimes I like working in late into the night or I've convinced myself that I like working late into the night. But when I can't put words onto the document on my computer and I'm just sitting there it is masochism. It is not effective work. My friend Julie is great at this. She's like, I can efficiently do my full day's work in like four to five hours, not eight. She's like, so I do that. And then the rest of the time, you know, I do whatever else can be done. But she'd rather be effective in a short amount of time than make things go longer than they need to and exhaust yourself. Because sometimes it can just feel exhausting when you know that you could be doing this more efficiently at another time. Deanna says, I get cranky. I begin to feel victimized, and also I feel no joy. Rhea says, my body speaks to me. My body and mind will feel the fatigue and pain and tense spots. And when I'm feeling scattered, more confused, less energy and less joy, it means I need to slow down. Sam shares, it's workplace paralysis. Genuinely, she can't bring herself to even do a simple task without feeling a wave of anxiety hit her. Oh my God, I so feel this one. And it's like you get stuck in this place where you're so anxious and overwhelmed that you can't even imagine not trying to do the work, but any thought of trying to do the work just makes that overwhelm and anxiety even worse. It's like a self-perpetuating cycle. Uh, I'd say that was actually me last weekend a little bit, and I just had to surrender to the book and surrender to taking some downtime, even though it wasn't the most restful Um there were moments of rest, and that was enough for me to start feeling like myself again. And Jyoti shared, I get very tired and do not want to do anything. I get drained and my body tells me to sit and relax and chill and enjoy the moment. 
because now that I look back, I'd never been listening to what my body said. And honestly, this was really nice to read and I wanted to share it because it just felt like a really beautiful thing to share. She said, honestly, I would say listening to your podcast is something that has helped me a lot and gives me a lot of inspiration. She also said that she thinks my voice is very peaceful and that that's very helpful. So for those of you who have sent me messages that say my voice is calming for you, I'm so grateful for that because we all need a space to feel calm and well and great. And I'm so grateful that this gets to be that opportunity for you. Um, But that's it for slide into my DMs this week. I just thought this would be such a neat question to ask because we know our own triggers, but just we can feel so validated by hearing what makes other people also triggered when it comes to their overwhelm and all these different pieces and also this is one of the most responses i've gotten to a slide into my dm so i think this is something we all experience often and can help each other move through when we see our colleagues going through it our friends our family hold space for their overwhelm hold space for them to come through it and hold space for them to get back to that relaxed chilled out space that they need to be in to become effective again in life Now let's get back to the show. Next up, what's your pace? This one has been fun because (laughs) when I've crashed and burned has been what's shown me what's good for me. So when I say, what's your pace? What kind of worker are you? Do you like to work in sprints and then have some downtime? Are you a steady Eddie who just likes to should be consistent every day, show up, have your boundaries, your eight-hour day, call it a day? Or are you someone who just likes to go full throttle all the time and it suits you to do that and you don't really burn out? Um, That almost feels like an impossibility, but maybe it's true. Let's hold space for that being an option. (laughs) I am the former, so I work in sprints and I realized this not early on, Um, It was not voluntary me realizing this, but it kind of happened, it dawned on me when I would go home over Christmas or holidays, like in the summer in university. And my cousin would say to me, Como, are you like this when you are at school? Like when you're at school, I see all these things about how awesome Como is and all the clubs she's doing and all the things with school and how wonderful you are. But you come home and you're a bag of shit. You lay in bed, you do nothing, you veg. (laughs) Like, I know some of y'all know what I'm talking about. It's like the complete extreme opposites. And I would say to her, I would be like, you know, like, I just, I go so hard that I need to crash so hard. And what this would later turn into and show me in the last couple of years is like, I can sprint really hard with work for like a solid three months. And micro sprints in there as well but then I need a good amount of downtime or like time at home for me to like reconcile with what that sprint was how much travel happened the events that happened where I spoke what I spoke about I need to like reconcile it all in my body and like let it settle and then do the day-to-day work with the team and then take a period of time off and then start up for the next sprint so I can do probably about two cycles of this a year so three months sprint two months downtime, two weeks off, and then ramp up for the next sprint, rinse and repeat. And that's how we're building the tour schedule because 
that's my jam. That's how I work. That is my pace. And I tested it out this fall when I did 14 events in eight weeks or something like that and was in New York, LA, Toronto, Ottawa. Like I figured out that that was my pace. And then the downtime, like it's not easy, the downtime. You're in doubt. You're like, why am I not moving? Like you have your post-tour blues, um, but you work through it and you commit to your pace because you know that that's what's work, what works for you. And this weekend, what it showed me was I need mini breaks even within the sprint. So January, you know, I was on the road for most of the month. And now that I'm back, I realize, okay, so you can go three to four weeks, but then you need a good two to three weeks at home in between doing day-to-day work, no travel, just focused work and execution. And also opportunity for you to care for yourself, go to physio, go to Cairo, have your workouts, all these things. But that took me time to cultivate and figure out. So ask yourself, as you're listening to me talk about this, ask yourself, what's your pace? Again, are you the steady Eddie? Is it that you build in your self-care and your habits and your routines week after week after week? Do you work in sprints? How can you build your work around being project-based or project-oriented? Or if you travel a lot, how can you segment your travel so that it's in sprints instead of constant? Because that can be so exhausting. Um, And just figure out what works for you. If you're full throttle all the time, then how do you coordinate it in a way where it can support the colleagues around you so you're not exhausting them? But figuring out your pace is so important to holistically hustle so that you can understand how you work and tell people around you, your colleagues, uh, for me, the team, because I'm I'm at the helm of the team, um, how you play. Like, what are your boundaries? How do we do this? How do we work with Komal? And to holistically hustle, you have to be very clear and direct about what you need, what you're willing to do for it, and how your team can accommodate how you're doing it and how you can collaboratively work together in a way that also works for their pace. So you have to define, what is your pace? And next up, perfect segue to our team. So actually, let's do a quick review. So for Holistic Hustle so far, we're talking about our love of work and why it's okay to love your work and how we can move from diminishing, if we are, how much we work to actually, you know, encouraging ourselves to be honest about how much we work, to doing what's good for you, the things that you systemically have in place, um, to take care of yourself, committing to those things, getting them in your schedule so that they're always happening in good times and intense times. And then asking yourself and figuring out how do I work and what's my pace? Next is, I guess, point number four. Um, Can you get team buy-in? So what I mean by this is I couldn't in my last work environment get buy-in for the ways that I was working. And it was because the person I was working with didn't have the capacity to allow the workflow of the people around them to be as it was. And so I didn't like to work at the office. I'm someone who works at home. And it's because I like focused, quiet time. Because when I'm in an office space, it just turns into conversations most of the day. And I find that really exhausting as someone who's an ambivert, but erring on the side of being an introvert. And for me to do the really good visioning, important work that I need to I kind of need to be self-isolated. And I had to realize that um, I'm most effective when I'm mostly in isolation, (laughs) not conducive in every work environment. But when you realize these things about yourself, you can tell your colleagues what you need and what you don't. Put on your noise-canceling headphones. How do you create space for yourself 
to work the way that you work. So I didn't feel like I could get buy-in in the last few work environments I was in. So as I was building core space and now lessons learned, this is a priority for me and uh, I make it known that it's a priority for my team. They get to decide how they work. They get to decide and like deliverables obviously are expected, but I'm not micromanaging. If you get work done a certain way, that's how you get it done. And we're all on the same page about that. So when I'm talking to the team today, we ask each other, how can I help you to get things done in this way? And they're often asking me that because obviously I'm leading the project. But, you know, it's always coming back to how can we be most effective and support each other in being effective? Because at the end of the day, we want to feel great about how we work and we want to feel great about the results. I genuinely believe that excellence is the baseline for every, like everybody wants to be excellent in what they do. And if they don't, it's because of a shitty work environment or it's because of extraneous circumstances in life. Every person I've come across wants to be good at what they do. Period. End of story. And we have to create spaces for people to excel in that way and to show and prove themselves in that way. Another guiding question for this piece of things around getting team buy-in and figuring out your team dynamic in holistically hustling is a question my friend Karina LeBlanc um, shared with me and she is the former goaltender for the Canadian Olympic soccer team that won bronze at the 2012 Olympics and she said her coach took her and two other players aside who were the natural leaders in the team and asked them what kind of leader are you and to Karina the coach said do you notice that when you're having a bad day, the people around you have a bad day? She said, no, no way. But then she started paying attention because she was so animated, extroverted, and had that impact on people energetically that, yes, if she was having a bad day, her team would have a bad day. So she had to realize and become more responsible for the energy she was bringing to the table because her the type of leader she was was she could motivate the team energetically. And that was her job. So if she was having a bad day, she would learn how to deal with it in the ways that she needed to with the system she had in place, the things she had in place to deal with her emotions, and then show up for her team in the way that she was meant to lead them. I believe everybody's a leader. I believe we're all leading in different ways um, every single day of our life and the way that we work on our teams. So it's our responsibility to ask ourselves, What kind of leader am I? What am I bringing to the table? And how do I most effectively continue to do this? So for me, it's the same thing as with Karina. My energy is really powerful in terms of guiding the vision, mission for this company. So I have to be very good at managing my energy. But for me, it's also very important for me to be transparent and authentic. Because I don't want my team to think if they see me in a vulnerable position, like, on my Instagram stories this week, I shared about the hard day I was having. But that is the type of work culture I'm trying to build. Where it's not like, oh, bring your authentic self to work, but you can't have a bad day because then, oh my God, what does that mean? No, we are the type of work environment where we understand bad days happen and people can show up, quote unquote, authentically by being honest about it being a bad day. And that is my way of showing up authentically as the leader that I am. In Karina's world, she had to 
take care of her stuff and show up on the court on the field because you can't necessarily (laughs) have a bad day when you're playing elite sports. You have to figure out how to motivate your team. But for me, when it's an off day, I can leverage that to enable more vulnerability and connection to my team so that we can be more authentic in the work that we're doing, which is to have conversations like this with the world. So if we're not living it in our everyday, if these are not the values that I am injecting and living in with my team, then we can't be out in the world prophesizing around authentic living and empathy-based leadership and holistic hustle because we're not doing it. So it's critical for me to do it. And that's the type of leader I have to be for my team. And so what kind of leader do you have to be for your team? Is it that you're, again, the steady Eddie? You're the one that makes sure everyone's on track. You're the one that makes sure that people are generally feeling okay and that actually completing and having the work done on time is what's going to make everybody feel great. Is that how you're going to lead your team? Is how you're going to lead your team being consistent? Is how you're going to lead your team motivating? Is how you're going to lead your team helping them stay healthy and making sure you're doing your planks at 2 p.m. every day? What can you do with what you have, where you are, in being the best possible leader for your team? And see if authentically leading the way that you're meant to can allow your team to also buy in to this ethos. Because for us to holistically hustle, we have to authentically be able to show up as we are. And that can be really hard in traditional corporate or bureaucratic or fill-in-the-blank environments. But I think that we can have small ripple effects when we can be ourselves. I see it with Mitch every day. He is the jolliest man. And sometimes he comes home and is just so, you know, like it's like the day took so much from him. But what I get to do as his partner is remind him of the power that he has with his energy and the spaces that he exists in. And when he can assert that more day after day, things change. Mitch always says this to me. He's like, it's always more important for us to have the hard conversation than to say ghost the person. And I'm going to apply this in the context of work of sometimes we can feel like if things aren't going our way or if, you know, certain aspects of our workspace are toxic, it's better for us to leave. And that can sometimes feel way easier than asking yourself, what needs to change in this work environment for me to stay? And that, that is a really powerful thing to do. And it comes back to the things that we've shared here around Holistic Hustle. It really comes to knowing how you work, what kind of leader you are, what you have to offer in a space, because that can help you establish clear and healthy boundaries in the workspaces that you exist in. And also having you know your non-negotiables with how you take care of yourself If you're going, I'm going towards that kitschiness or like that stereotype or whatever we're going to say, but if your cup is full, you can impact the people around you so positively. And so ask yourself, what needs to change in the environment that I'm in for me to stay? And if even that's not enough and it's you have to go or whatever, listen to that. But just ask yourself before you decide to exit or leave, throw in the towel, what would need to change for me to stay? And can I be a part of making that change happen and having the hard conversations I need to to get this workplace to where it could be? We get to be those leaders. We get to change things. We get to be part of that transformation to make workplaces healthier and happier. 
because we spend more of our time working than we do anything else. So it might as well be awesome, right? I know that sounds insane probably to some people, but I genuinely believe we can make healthy and happy workspaces and it a part of it can start with us. We're in bigger systems that have massive things that are moving that are way beyond our control. But let's come back to, again, what we can control. We can control the systems we have in place, our habits and routines, and the way we react and show up in the world. So that is how we can potentially get our team buy-in. And if we have that buy-in, holistically hustling is totally possible and in many ways a lot easier than if we don't have that buy-in. So finally, listening to the whispers in our body. And when I was talking to Kylie about this earlier, she said, how, how can we do that? And for me, it's getting out of my head and into words or into action. And so all weekend, this last weekend, I was, I picked up a book and it wasn't a self-help book. It wasn't a nonfiction book. It wasn't a romance book. It was a thriller. It was a mystery. And it was a 300 page book and I crushed it in two days. And Mitch and I kept trying to have conversations in between, but I was so emotionally constipated and not much was coming out. And he was like, what is going on? And therefore would not fully follow up. So we just got in our rhythm. He was gaming. I was reading. I needed to relax. I needed to not talk about work. And so we did our damn thing. But then came a moment where it was like, oh my God, I need to get all of these words out of my system. (laughs) And so I got to talk, we got to talking And we both resolved so much, but it's like I couldn't get it out of my system before that moment. And part of the listening to the whispers was getting still and just letting myself be uncomfortable, letting myself know that I was overwhelmed, tuning into what it felt like to be overwhelmed and to say, I am overwhelmed, being in the reality of exactly where I was at. And then from there, moving towards, okay, so how can I verbalize and express what it is I'm actually feeling? And what actually was the trigger for me was I was going to be a bit of a masochist. Oh, and I want now, now that I'm using that word, about the last point, sometimes we can have teams of masochists who like to just be the victims, work so hard, you know, what are they called? Weekend warriors. I work so fucking hard. I'm so fucking busy. Da-da-da-da-da. Don't buy into that shit. That is nonsense and it is illness driving and it is just absolute bullshit. And hold your healthy boundaries, choose how you want to work, and live a life that you actually enjoy. Because majority of weekend warriors that I've met don't fully enjoy their lives. And that's maybe too broad a generalization, but it's anecdotally true to me. (laughs) So coming back to being a masochist this weekend... I was just going to go to bed on Friday, or sorry, Sunday night. I was feeling like shit. I was like, I'm just going to go to bed early. I can't talk. I'm emotionally constipated. I'm just going to go to bed. And then I realized, no, like in this moment, what would feel really great for my body, what would be an act of service and self-care to myself would be taking a really nice hot shower and choosing myself in that moment instead of my guilt and shame that I was going through in my head about the anxiety I had about the work decision I had to make allowed such a release to happen mentally in the shower I was starting to work through stuff and then Mitch came in to grab something and I just like as I was taking my shower talked my whole brain at him and he was just like I'm getting very hot because <laughs> he was obviously like standing by the sink while I was finishing my shower and I was like right like he runs hot 
go. We will finish this conversation in bed. But it was just this release and it came from this act of self-love. And so tune in to like the things that your body is like, this would make me feel good. Because in moments when we have anxiety or in moments when we're stressed or in moments when we're not feeling great, we question the things that are going to make us feel good because we don't feel like we deserve those things. But we do. And if we allow ourselves to do the things that make us feel great, that's going to actually release and allow us to open up and actually listen even more to the body and listen more to the whispers. So find ways to talk. Find ways to unlock the talking in you. And my friend Steph, she actually every morning instead of journaling because she just chooses to do this form instead, opens a voice note in her phone and just talks to herself aloud for 20 minutes to an hour every day instead of journaling as part of when she's doing her morning walk because she she does walks every day and she says that it's the most relieving thing so she's not even talking to someone but it's getting the words out of your brain even if it's like a jumble and mess of feelings and emotions and you can't sort through it I'm getting it out of your system ways that you can do that talk to your phone physically journal write in a journal make an appointment with a therapist or a coach call a friend, talk to your partner, talk to your parent, talk to someone you trust. But the hold up anxiety in me, when I notice that I'm on the cusp of, um, or when I'm starting to notice the whispers of overwhelm and whispers of anxiety and whispers of burnout, it's about release. It's about naming it. It's about being in the reality of where you're at when you are there. And it's about owning it. And once you do, the decision becomes clear. The next action becomes clear. And then when you take that action, things start releasing again. And this is that part of holistic hustle is like, you have to tune in, listen to the whispers, whatever that looks like to you. And today we're specifically talking about the talk aspect of it, the release out of your body into the world. And then once you're done talking, actioning, because action creates clarity. And clarity is what we're looking for when we are feeling really anxious, overwhelmed, um, not feeling great about where we're at. And that's what it took today. With each of my work calls today, um, with the four people I directly work with in the company, it was creatively next steps. It was for the podcast next steps. It was for our podcast trailer and, and the tour trailer that we're developing next steps. It was operationally next steps but coming from a place of more groundedness and release because I did the work I needed to the last few days to show up in a healthy, thoughtful way at work today. We got to put in the time and do the work we have to so that we can show up for others and ourselves in a meaningful way in our work environments. It's not okay to just show up like an asshole. It's not okay to not be responsible for the energy we take into our workspaces because that turns into a domino effect. And we are so much better than that domino effect. We are capable of hard conversations. Holistically hustling is about doing the hard things to make sure that we are well and feel great in what we are doing and how we're doing it every single day. And some days are going to be really fucking hard. But that is holistically hustling. And that was my day today. So those are my thoughts on holistic hustle. So in review, it's okay if you love work. In fact, it's amazing if you love work. We love work. I love work. 
Kim loves work. Our team loves to work. We feel so much validation that comes from being great at what we do. It feels so good to be great at what you fucking do. That is okay. But with that, don't diminish how much you work. Don't feel shame or guilt about not working enough when you factually, by the numbers, by the hours, do the work. Honor how you work. And then commit to doing the things that are good for you. Schedule them, make sure they're non-negotiable so that you have them in both the good times and most importantly, the very hard, overwhelming times. The workout today changed the game for me. Meditation today, journaling today changed the game for me. So your love of work, do what's good for you, and then ask yourself, what's your pace? How do you work? Define it, figure it out, articulate it to others. And then can you get team buy-in? Do you have a team of masochists? Do you have a team of people who actually do respect the boundaries of others? And whether or not those two things are true, define your boundaries with your team. And if it's not buy-in, then it's at least establishing those boundaries with the people around you. My mom said this to me actually yesterday because she works at the hospital in pediatrics. She's a unit clerk that's like the secretary of the floor. So all the paperwork for the patients, she does. She's been at the hospital since it opened. So like 40 plus years, one of the most senior people in that area. She told me about this story about when she asked for time off once. She'd booked her trip to India and this was only a couple years ago. So she'd been there for like 35 plus years. She went to her uh, supervisor and said, you know, I've booked this time. I've, I've booked my trip to India. This is the time off I'm going to need. And the supervisor said, you should have asked me first. I don't think I'm going to be able to pull this off. And my mom said, I'm not asking your permission. I am going. How do we make this happen? And so ensued her going to the supervisor's supervisor and having like higher level conversations. But my mom just being like, I'm going on this trip. Like I've done this every year. It's been okay every other year. And if now we're going to do a power trip, like I'm not here for that. <laughs> and she said to me, she's like, you have to be strong and establish your boundaries in a workplace. Otherwise people are going to walk all over you and doing it in a classy, thoughtful way, but establishing those boundaries for yourself. It also teaches people how to treat you. And especially in a work environment, that's so important. And so when Ma told me that, I was like, you're right, Ma. And I don't feel like I would have been confident doing that in my 20s. And even now, like if I was in a traditional workplace, who knows if I'd be confident saying that. But I'm super supportive of my team telling me what they need and how they work. And I respect that. And if more of us can do that, that's wildly powerful. So can you get team buy-in or how can you establish your boundaries in your work environment? And then listening, listening to your body, listening to the thoughts in your mind, getting them out of there through talk um, is wildly important. So these are parts of Holistic Hustle for me that came to mind today. This is a bigger topic. I know that very well. Um, but I just wanted to share these pieces with you as I worked through them today because I felt massive release from it. Um, and again, coming back to listening, it's listening and then taking action based on what we've uncovered for ourselves. And taking that action today, committing to my own self-care, doing all the things I've mentioned here, allowed me to open back up and jump back into flow with what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. I didn't used to be great at this, at listening and, and paying attention and moving deadlines and changing things so that I could be healthier along the way. But now it's a non-negotiable because I know what happens when we don't, when it compounds because we keep not listening. And that's just not okay anymore. 
And so this is my lesson learned. And it's one that I hope you can vicariously learn because I don't want anyone to have to go through what I went through. Um, But if you do, I know you're strong enough to get through it. Thank you guys for listening. Here's to holistically hustling. And I'm so excited for everything that's ahead for this Lessons Learned Tour and everything we're creating for all of you. Thank you all from the bottom of my heart for tuning in week after week. This is episode 19. I can't believe that. That means this show's been alive for more than 19 weeks and there's so much more to come. Thank you so much. I hope you have the best week. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you loved this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to follow me, Komal, check me out on Instagram at K-O-M-A-L-M-I-N-H-A-S or the show at Lessons Learned Podcast underscore. And if you have an idea of a lesson that we should dive into on the show, then slide into our DMs and submit there or on the website along with any guests you think I should interview and talk all of the things with. As always, I hope that you make some time for you this week and reflect on the lessons you're learning or have learned and take some time to celebrate all the incredible that is you. Until next time, guys. Bye.